Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to today's Reddit series video from the subreddit HFY called "Absence Makes the Heart," Part Four of Five, written by MacDie. Biella and the remnants of her crew transferred off the Amulus and broken. The ship was moving at a slow spiral through the system. All power had been lost, and the remnants of her fleet had little hope of being able to deaccelerate the craft. So they had simply altered the dead ship's course and sent it slowly spiraling towards the sun. A fitting end for a ship named after a god of war, once believed to have battled back the darkness each dawn to make way for the sun's rising. What had been a fleet of dozens of outdated clearstead naval vessels had been reduced to seven that were still capable of FTL. It had been their first engagement with the enemy, and it would have been their last if it hadn't been for whatever hope had accomplished. Hundreds of hunter-killers were still tumbling through the system, carrying on whichever direction their momentum carried them. Grand Admiral Sornon had acquitted himself well, despite the fleet's losses, but the enemy fought too differently from anything that he had ever experienced. Battles in space lasted seconds usually, high-speed passes, quick strikes at thousands of kilometers a second, a brief exchange of blows against the subsequent waves of ships. The enemy simply matched speeds, swarmed close, rammed, and boarded. They had no concept of self-preservation, no fear of death, no capital ships or command structure that could be targeted and crippled. What? had seemed overzealous interest of interception fire capability on human ships over the past few decades had suddenly become unreasonable in the Grand Admiral's mind. Their ships were ill-suited to match any of the other species of the United Worlds. Perhaps if they simply had more ships, they may have been able to win the war alone. In the hours after the end of the battle, Biela had been too distracted to really think of what Hope's final message had been— but as things had begun to calm down, she had been able to gain her bearings again. She realized she already knew the answer. Impact in ten, nine, all hands, brace for impact, he toggled the ship-wide intercom. He pointedly did not stare out the hull of the bridge bulkhead as the enemy command ship swept into view, drawing ever closer and blotting out the stars. Hope still dominated the screens of the comms terminal, most of the ship's systems were out, and the niceties like holographic projections simply weren't in the budget for the power generators. Most of what had been left had been delivered to a few maneuvering thrusters and inertial dampeners systems so the ship had left. She looked equal parts concerned and excited as she took the limited sensors data of Falcon 2 was still able to collect studying the ancient and pot-marked hull of the command ship for what she could need. Its hull was tremendously thick layer of crudely layered common materials, their surface scarred with impact craters from stellar debris and thousands of years old. But all across the scarred surface there were sensor bundles, communication arrays, and other devices for the purpose of which she could only guess, and he found again staring out the hole of the bridge. Three, two, Grand Admiral Solon will hold the command here with the damaged ship. Captain Soraya will return to the Clearstead space and inform the Empress of what has happened here and request recovery assets. The Empress is already aware that this battle has transpired, but she has no means of knowing where it was. She will send help. 
Her mother, too, had been concerned, but she had known all along what Piella would do with the fleet that she had been given. Piella knew that although the Empress could never have condoned coming to the aid of the humans, she trusted Piella's judgment on the matter. She understood, also, why her mother had encouraged her to request the help of the retired Grand Admiral, and why Sornon had so eagerly jumped to the opportunity. It was not simply for a chance to command the fleet again. She could feel him still, despite how far he was. Ben was calm. Too calm. Beneath it all, there was an unbearable fear. He was so afraid, yet it didn't guide his actions. She realized then that the fear had always been there. Beneath it all. It had all been so very long since the fear had controlled him. Every dream she remembered, every moment that he had dwelled in her thoughts, he had been afraid. But Ben's experiences had hardened him, allowed him to overpower the fear. Just thinking of it shook her to a core. How could he still function despite such a weight of emotions constantly barraging him? Screaming had him to run away, to hide. And it dawned on her that every human was the same way. Some collapsed under the pressure, some found a few fleeting moments of clarity despite it, and some few continued to function despite its constant presence. Bravery was not the ability to feel no fear at all but to be able to step forward and face the challenge, despite it. But his fear had a new tinge to it. He had always been afraid, for himself for a time, for his crew, for his species. But his fear was far more focused, not for himself, but for one sole purpose, one individual, someone he cared for. And with that fear, there was such a pride and confidence, a source of strength that buried the fear and the pain. Suddenly, such pain. I will take the remainder of the FTL-capable ships. We're heading for the last known location of the enemy command ship. There is no hope that we will arrive in time to assist the battle that is even now raging there. But should Commodore Owens and the AI hope succeed, we may be able to help the survivors. Once she would have relied on the distant sense of confidence to carry herself, she had done it unthinkingly in the years after Ben had departed. For a time, the fear that she had felt from her dreams held her back when she once thought that they were simply her own nightmares, her own doubts. But Ben had grown stronger. So too had she. She had fought hard, battled herself, and come far. But rather than leaning on Ben's strength, she had found her own. She had learned a valuable lesson from him that her emotions were the source of strength when allowed to be. Her honest, heartfelt arguments, her fears and doubts, her anger, all had helped sway her mother, the Grand Admiral, and her many supporters to her cause. But even with that strength, she knew she could not help Ben any further. But Hope could. Six of her remaining ships came about and fell into formation before vanishing into the dark void's space, racing towards a distant star, while one lone ship raced home to bring word that what has happened. Grand Admiral Sornon insisted on quitting the medical bay to watch the princess depart from the deck of the ship's crippled bridge, the remaining crew working tirelessly to bring the systems back online, to repair damage and patch holes, 
but all soon stopped to stare at the Grand Admiral. He was proud of her and afraid for her at the same time. His barriers had been lowered, unconsciously perhaps, as the princess led a handful of battle-damaged ships towards danger, despite her own fears and worries, proud that she could face those fears and move forward, afraid at what she would find when she arrived. The impact was not gentle. The Falcon 2's spine was broken as it tore deep furrow through the crude armored hull of the command ship. It dug deep, dead hunter-getters not free of her hull. What remained of his crew were sorely shaken, but even as his ship slowed to a stop, the few surviving crew were quick to work. The few remaining marines drew their heavy weapons from the armory. There was no concern about damaging their own ship any longer. Considering it was crashed and dug deep into the enemy command ship, the engineering crew was scrambling across ancient ship's surface, dragging an hastily fabricated line of communications cabling towards a communications module that Hope had chosen as a point of entry. He stood on the bridge, watching his crew struggle to prepare, even as the ship's few remaining interceptor systems fired, tracing lines of brief embers through the space as swarms of hunter-killers approached. The fleet, some of it at least, still fought in the void, and occasionally he could spot the light of their main guns firing, the detonations of the hunter-killers, but they were too far to see with the naked eye. Even his implant couldn't track a ship moving at combat speeds from where he stood. On a monitor, Hope was readying herself for the next foray into enemy networks. They cannot shut down the command ships themselves, Father. It was never something that they were programmed to do. I don't think anyone has tried this kind of attack before. The only reason the factories had hunter kidders have to kill command is for when the command ships move on, or their work is complete. He nodded slightly, ignoring the sharp pain in his side. He had been wounded earlier in battle, but the patch the marine had put on his suit held. The wound to his flesh, however, seemed to be another story. As soon as you're done this, you come back here, understood, young lady? She looked up at him from her monitor and smiled happily. Of course, father. Good girl. I've already lost too much in these things. Hope they don't get to have you too. Understand? She nodded solemnly. I know, father. Mother knows, too. She's eager to see you again, and is sorry it took so long. Clears did see time differently, I know that. Always did. It's why I never tried to contact her. By the time I was in a position that I may have been able to, I had already changed too much. He unholstered his sidearm and released the magazine briefly to check it. I could feel her sometimes, you know. She's changed, too, I suppose. They may not think of time the same way as we do, but she has grown quite a bit since our school days. She has, father. She is the next empress, after all. She has to. They are ready now. I have to go, father. I know. Just come back. All right, kid. I will, father. Then she vanished, the brunt of her programming slamming through the connector cable to begin assaulting the command ship's firewalls and networks. He looked out at the hullscape that was in the surface of the command ship's hull. Impact creatures centuries old, pockmarked and marred by the unimaginably long trek across interstellar space from somewhere. The knowledge that for how old this one was, there were more. Ones that had come before it, 
one that had built its older still. An unnerving thought, what if the ones that had built it were still out there? How far had they progressed? The first swarms of spiders began to emerge, cutting their way through the hull of the command ship to reach the surface. Hunter-getters impacted in the distance, some struck and crashed from the Falcon 2's few functional guns, some simply disgorged their own loads of spiders. They seemed unable to fire on the ground human ship, however. He was reminded of the battle years ago, his first time facing the enemy, back in his days with the Vagatory Defense Fleet with his transfer to the militia, when his own militia troops had been taken by spiders and he had been unable to fire on them, not because he had been unwilling, but because the equipment was incapable of firing on friendlies, alive or dead, as it turned out. Perhaps this was the same with the enemy, that their hunter-killers could not fire towards the command ship. Not that it mattered much, as the marines opened fire on the nearest spiders, searching out of craters and weak points in the command ship's hull, where they had cut their way out quickly. The things were of a different design than the ones that he was familiar with. An older, cruder design, it seemed, possibly as old as the command ship itself. They were slower, more awkward, as if they were trying to mimic four-legged movement for the first time. And for that, he was thankful, and the marines and the remnants of his crew found easy targets. Flag officer Jack Voronin sat aboard the bridge of the Prideful, the last pre-war destroyer of the Dominion Planet State's fleet and former flagship of Admiral McLean. It was built for ship-on-ship combat, and hadn't the overabundance of interceptor and flak-fire capability of the late warships of the same class. But she was spaced-worthy and swift, and he had to give compliments to the crew for having kept her in a fight for so long. Holes had burned or shot through the Prifle's hull, but she was a testament to humanity's love of fail-safes, redundancies, and secondary systems— Despite extensive damage, many of her systems still functioned. Crews manually carried or dragged ammunition from the bunkers to the flak cannons. Surface-laid cabling allowed the intercom system to continue to function, despite the loss of entire compartments to weapons fire and impacts. Keep the fleet in formation. Whatever the commodore is up to, they just kick the hornet's nest. He sat in what should have been the admiral's seat next to the ship's captain, and seemed entirely relaxed at ease and studied the fleet's layout and status reports. The hundreds of hunter-killers swarming the remnants of the fleet were breaking off, heading towards the command ship in droves, and the fleet fell into formation to pursue. The Copus engines flared and died, slowly dropping out and surviving crew struggling to bring to a stop. Electrical arcs danced across the hull of the Grayson. Both turrets and main guns were potmarked wrecks. The gunnery crews racing to bring the weapons offline with the sort of stubborn foolishness they were known for, laying into the main cables with non-conductive fire axes as all other safeties failed. Aboard each of the near dozen remaining ships, crews struggled to ready for the continuing action against the enemy. And aboard the Prideful and other ships' surety, conversations carried on, the sort of humor that had carried soldiers through the worst moments, a dismissive, dark humor that offered a grim situation no respect, as if to undermine the dire situation by simply 
dismissing it as if it was another bump in the road. Just what is a hornet anyway? The chief weapons officer glanced at his ratings who struggled to pull a hand ammo bunker and starboard flak batteries, straddling the dead spider that had been set full of holes in the middle of the gunnery deck. Vicious little stinged winged monsters, size of a football. Size of a thumb, maybe, another rating piped in, her arms thrust into sleeves over large insulation gloves as she struggled to rip the blown superconductor from its housing, the marine standing by with a replacement piece. And they bite, not sting right, but do they make nests like birds? I mean, if they nest, they might be big, right? But they're bugs, so hives, isn't it? The marine offered his two cents, stepping back as the blown conductor was torn free and flew across the narrow chamber to rebound off the wall and spiral around the room, handing over the replacement. Not the point. Point of the phrase is that when you kick a hornet's hive, nest, house, whatever, all the little bastards swarm out and bite the crap out of you, and you break out in hives until you leave or die. They're poison. Folks were allergic to them. Back in the day, thousands dead every year. The weaponry officer ducked his head and the conductor thudded off the shoulder of his armored environment suit, then heaved the next case of ammunition to the now empty-handed marine, who caught the damnable ease thanks to his powered armor and slammed it into the bunker. So the commodore is in the hive? And he's kicking it. So all the hunter-killers, hornets, are swarming over that way to kill him, or turn him into a bunch of hives. So more command ships. The first rating nodded sagely, as if it all made perfect sense now, and the gunnery officer swatted him on the visor and his helmet in response. God damn it, I hate you all so much. Just get these guns up and ready. The flag officer's bringing us in hot on those pricker's heels to keep the pressure off. The weapons officer turned to leave, stepping off the fallen spider and heading for the hatch that led towards the bridge. From the swelling, from the hive, sir, got it. Prick. Ben dragged himself back to his feet. The gunnery crews of the Falcon 2 had done the damnedest to bring down every last hostile that dared to enter the limited arcs of guns. But it had been a foregone conclusion. Eventually, either the ammunition would have run out, or the enemy would have swarmed them across the surface of the command ship. And it seemed that they weren't mutually exclusive, the flak cannons had been silent for too long, and the waves of spiders were swarming across the cratered surface of the ship. His crew fought to hold the perimeter around the Falcon 2, and the communications node that Hope had access through, but it was shrinking too quickly. Ammunition was in short supply. Crew fought from the top of the Falcon, their weapons silent in the void of space, skittering off spiders. Their own bursts of weapon fire at the death of sailors and marines. He could hear his own labored breathing, feel the reverberations through the gloves of his armored environment suit as he threw an empty magazine away. A small corner of his mind tracking it as it bounced off the hull and the command ship and went tumbling into the void. The familiar sensation as fresh magazine was rammed home. The action cocking forward on a fresh round, the imagined sound of the magnetic rail whirring up to full charge once more. Human innovation had always been spurred on by war. It was an unfortunate truth of species, but he had to assume that it was an ununiversal constant. War bred necessity. Necessity bred innovation. Innovation bred advancement. And the only exception he could think of 
was the enemy. Thirty years of war had seen human technology advance in leaps and bounds, while the enemy had hardly seemed to have changed at all. The same tactics, the same ships, the same weapons, all to say that when one of the older-looking spiders had struck his armor with energy weapons, he had staggered and fell, limbs momentarily numb, chest on fire from the heat of the impact, the result of a deathly hail of supercharged particles and electrical current. But he had lived. It could almost have been seen as comical, as the marines especially took bolt after bolt into the stagger and fall. Their power armor systems, much like the armored environment suits of the rest of the ship's crew, was smart enough to magnetize and demagnetize to avoid twisting ankles and hurting off into space. But for their advancements, for all their knowledge of the enemy, of how they moved and fought and evaded, there had simply been too many of them. They could produce more ships than all of the human shipyards combined, more spiders than every military academy and training program could push through. They had no need for trained crews, and the technical schools could only produce so many qualified naval ratings and ship crews. Their scientists could invent better armor, better ships, better targeting programs, but it had always been a numbers game. A numbers game that had been lost for the first time the enemy had captured and utilized the FTL-capable ship. The spiders drew closer, and his crew was slowly forced to close its perimeter, pushed ever back. And when the frack cannons went silent, the circle began to shrink more. And when the ammunition began to run out, it shrank even more. Commodore, permission to overload the reactor... The engineer chief came across the suit-mounted short-range radio, the only real working communication system the crew had left. He glanced towards the communications node and then towards the Falcon, but there was no hesitation. Negative, chief. She won't let us down. Think she's picked up a touch of the dramatic, though. The chief let out a dark laughter. All right, sir. We're losing ground this side of the Falcon. They're almost at the hull. Acknowledged. Keep the computer core online at all costs. He flagged two marines, and they abandoned their positions on the perimeter, guarding the communications node, to fall back towards the ship. Prideful would hold station. Remainder of feet will maintain combat maneuvers and keep the pressure off. Jake still lounged on the admiral's seat, although his casual appearance was just a mask. He hadn't had much experience commanding a fleet, None, in fact, but Ben and Hope had worked hard both to drill him in preparation and to provide him with the software and programs to assist with the responsibility that he had no interest in shouldering. The crew continued to work diligently as the pre-war destroyer approached the enemy command ship, the rest of the fleet burning at full thrust ahead of the oldest warship in the fleet, flag systems and the main guns firing to clear the way. So close to the command ship, two enemy hinterkillers began to change their target priorities, coming after the ships once more. It was already too late. Surely, though, the surface of the command ship was swarming with hunter-killers and spiders, surging towards the wreckage of the Falcon. Then says, what are we looking for down there? He glanced at his shoulder and the pair of marines guarding the entrance to the bridge, who were apparently discussing the differences between wasps and hornets. They had little else to do if there were no enemies aboard the ship, after all. IFF markers saw some of the Falcon's crew. They're hard-pressed and giving ground. All right, send it to the gunnery crews. Weapons? 
I'll leave it to you to judge danger close range. Once we're in position, start firing. Give them some breathing room. Roger that, flag officer. Incoming. Danger close. A signal was broadcast to all of the surviving crew of the Falcon from an unfamiliar voice. For some of the crew, the words were understood, but the meaning was lost momentarily. For the Marines, their reaction was second nature, and the senior most of the Marines barked into her short-range radio to warn the rest of the crew when she realized that some hadn't understood. Everyone, get down! Ship-mounted weapons, even interceptor systems, were designed to function at ranges far too extreme to be contemplated as an individual basis. The naval officers knew that on a conscious level, but even Ben caught himself looking up towards the stars, only to see a few tiny smudges against the black, black drop, light and the main engines and a flash of weapon systems, and distant explosions. The rest of the fleet was still alive, still in the fight, and had come to help. If it hadn't been for his cybernetic eye, he would have never been able to register the inbound projectiles, but thankfully, he was able to throw himself down in time as the command ship hull all around the Falcon and the communications node began to explode as black fire tore into the crude armor and shattered hundreds of spiders and grounded hunt killers. I'm an old band, my boy. The cavalry is here. We're too far out to read you and short-range radios. So, unless you have anything else working to talk with me, just shut up and get the job done, would you? Another barrage of incoming fire further out from the first, tore into the more ranks of enemy spiders. Also, if you uh, do get a working radio, my crew is very interested about the difference between hornets and wasps. It's become quite the topic at the moment. Someone even said there are wasps that eat spiders. Ben groaned, remembering why conversations with Jake back at the academy had been so damnably irritating at times, then triggered the shortwave radio. All crew redistribute ammunition and hold positions. A disturbingly short round of affirmations, and Ben made his way back aboard the downed ship. Father? Ben looked up from the technician, struggling to get the ship's comms up and running again, at least to be able to reach the prideful. The terribly fitting name for the ship being commanded by Jake. Her tone was both excited and pensive, an odd mixture of feelings, and he settled his gaze on the monitor that she had chosen. I'm ready to send the signal, Father, but... uh, there is no built-in kill command that I can trigger. The command ships don't have anything like that. Her excitement was dwindling as she studied the situation that the ship and crew were in. So what's the plan, kid? He leaned on the console and peered down at her. His face turned slightly to focus on the good eye on the image. I can overload the power core. They'll lose containment and detonate ten minutes after I send the signal. I can also kill command the hunter killers and spiders and all their factories everywhere. Well, that's good. There was a problem, though, obviously. She was hesitating, buying time to try and come up with some sort of alternative. Ben, we're swarmed up here. You're going to have to break the station for a bit. You're on your own down there again. We'll get another ship over to you soon. Jake sounded concerned, though the comm signal they were still telltale signs of weapons fire in the background. The prideful had been boarded. Hope closed her eyes for a moment and then looked up her father again. Once the signal is sent and the system will be locked down, I won't be able to extract myself, and I can't risk sending the kill command too soon. I think there's something controlling them. Something. Something intelligent. Once I send the kill command, I will know that I'm in the system and try shut me out. Well, 
That answered the question that there was still something controlling the enemy somewhere in the galaxy. A terrifying thought. He had hoped not that it would be made anything about the enemy less terrible, that their actions were a result of an accident and outdated coding, that whomever had built was long dead and unable to stop the rampage. Jake could send shuttles to evacuate you and the others. I can stay here once they're all clear and shut them down. Ben was silent, staring down at Hope as she began to formulate plans of how to save him and the others. Prideful is registered as having four combat-capable shuttles on board. No other modern human warships have bothered with combat shuttles due to the nature of the enemy. Won't work. They overhauled the shuttle base for ammunition storage. We're not getting off the ship, daughter. His tone spoke volumes. Hope froze to peer up at Ben, not sure what he meant. Chief, get tube one ready. Hope, get everything set so that I can pull the trigger from the signal from here. An affirmative from the chief engineer, who gathered up what was left of the team to ready the torpedo Ben had requested, and ensured the primary torpedo tube was clear. I don't understand, father. You're leaving. We are going to transfer you onto a computer installed in a torpedo and launch you out of here. It has an IFF beacon, so Jake should be able to spot you and pick you up. He'll know what to be looking for. Ben glanced out of the hole of the ship's hull. These people were being hard-pressed again, and the fleet was being pushed back further and further from the command ship, and the hunter-killers began to swarm them. Hope bristled, an irrational anger swelling up in her features, but Ben poked the monitor pointedly. A parent should never outlive their child, Hope. Besides, mother will need you, and there's no point in both of us dying here, is there? A unique feature of Hope's programming disallowed any form of data backups, although theoretically immortal. So long as the program functioned, she could still die. It had been a point of Piella and Ben had discussed for a long time while creating her. The argument had been that if she is indeed mortal, and at least the sense that death was permanent, she would be able to better appreciate the lives of organics. It would not be a foreign concept to her. He stared down at her as she glared at him, with all the foolish rage of a child that had always thought that she knew everything, which, in Hope's case, wasn't far from the truth. And he smiled tiredly. Fiela will need you when this is all over. We'll be in no position to stop whoever comes after us next. But with you, she'll be able to start building the bridges that we humans should have been building all this time. A fresh surge of explosions rocked the command ship as another ship of the fleet made a high-speed pass, buying the remnants of the crew a few more moments. I don't care about any of that. Yes, you do. We both know it. You care too much. It's an Owen's weakness. That's why we fight so hard. Why we can make the hard calls. Because we care too damn much, kid. Biela's always knew that. I think that's why partly she liked me so much. Joke's on her. It's a human thing. We all care too much about everything, even the things we can't stop, can't slow down, can't deny, can never have. He grinned, knowing that somewhere in the galaxy, Biela would feel what he felt, the swell of pride that was just enough to keep the sorrow at bay. He could almost convince himself that he could feel her too, out there, somewhere. As if she were racing to reach some place despite knowing that she could never make it on time. 
a stubborn denial of the inevitable. Tears welled up in Hope's eyes, but the stubborn set of her jaw gave away that she forced to accept the truth of the situation. The fleet could bring the ship close enough for you to jump aboard. I could calculate trajectories for you and the others. You could jump. How large will the explosion be when the command ship goes up? It had enough power to cross the voids of space. It could control seemingly unlimited number of slave craft. It could communicate instantly across the galaxy. I could prolong the countdown, give the fleet more time to get away. There's something out there controlling them. I would give it, them, more time to undo overload command. We have to do this now, Hope. Give me the trigger and tell your mother that I love her. His HUD was swimming with notifications. They were almost out of ammunition, almost out of time. The fleet was being swarmed. Somewhere dark in the space, Biela would not arrive in time. She vanished from the monitor, replaced only with the touchscreen command. Major dump into the torpedo, sir. The chief piped up from somewhere in the bow, where he and a volunteer were ready to load the last torpedo into the cleared primary tube. I'll be down in a moment, he didn't hesitate, impressing the command to execute the program Hope had designed. By the time he'd cleared the bridge, the spiders that were on the verge of overwhelming the crew had gone dark. Many of them flung into the void of space from their own momentum. Some hung in lone claws or legs that had found purchase on the command ship's crude hull. Again, he didn't hesitate. A glance at the chief, a nod of confirmation, and he slammed his fist against the manual launch. A simple red button embedded about the sealed torpedo tube. There was no sound, of course, just a violent shudder in the tortured hull of the Falcon II as the torpedo launched, and for a brief moment he tracked it on his HUD, seeing through the twisted metal and scorched armor of his dying ship. The torpedo arced away from the command ship on a pre-programmed course that would take it clear and to where, hopefully, Jake and the rest of the fleet would be before long. We are detecting multiple human distress signals, Princess. Biela pulled her hand from the seating mounted rail and crossed the communications officer. Acknowledge their receipt. Let them know help is finally here. All ships, make way to the nearest distress signal and render assistance. She already knew that Ben wouldn't be amongst the survivors. Her gaze settled on the still-expanding debris field of the command ship. The ship machine had been massive in scale, and her ship's sensors had trouble cataloging every piece of debris that had been cast across the solar system by the detonation. Most of the human fleet remaining ships had been too badly damaged during the battle to be able to survive FTL transit anyway and had instead been floating, and some under minimal power, for days. They had done what they could to effect repairs, but the situation would have been dire if Jake hadn't been so certain to help us coming. And he had only been certain because Ben had been certain. Princess, we are being hailed from the Dominion vessel Prideful, identified as Flag Officer Jake Voronin. She shook off the memory of the moments before she'd lost Ben. Her crew visibly shaken by the emotions that she had experienced. But they had begun to grow accustomed to it. The princess was far more open with her emotions, more vocal with her thoughts, more direct in her mannerisms. She did not fit the mold that they had in their minds of how a member of the imperial family would act. All veiled promises and half-truths. 
and they had found that they rather preferred her openness, directness. Put him through, she returned to the command seat, but stood with one hand once more resting on the ceiling mounted rail when a holographic image of Jake appeared. His armored environment suit was repeatedly patched and stained with grease, a sign that a high-ranking officer had been working in the trenches with his crew, more likely due to the dire situation rather than some inherent joy of hard labor. From what she remembered of him in their days at the academy, he was about to speak. His face lit up with a grin when he froze for a moment, just staring at her, the way that she was standing, and he couldn't help but smile sadly and nod to himself. Princess Piala Anilarasi, eldest daughter of the Empress, may she reign forever. A pleasure to make your acquaintance again. I do hope your showers are working. She couldn't help but chuckle and nod. We will be coming alongside the prideful shortly, Admiral. She knew full well why he'd been refusing the more proper title of Admiral instead of relying on the less accurate term flag officer. It had been partly because he had not wanted to undermine Ben's authority. Not that there had been any risk that the fleet that men had assembled might have found themselves torn on the proper packing order if Jake, who outranked Ben, had not been first in command. It had also been because his rank had been achieved entirely through political machinations and social status, not merit, not that he hadn't been used to great benefit. He shrugged, hands upraising as if he had no excuse or rebuke, and then settled down again. We have hope on board. She refuses to upload to the Prideful's computers, though. She hasn't spoken to anyone since she escaped the Falcon. My texts are certain that she's intact and operational, but, well, uh... But she lost her father. I understand, Jake. We'll bring her aboard. And I'll try and coax her out. Jake nodded, glancing aside to one of the crew with a fresh report. Well, since there are so many holes in the hull, it shouldn't be hard to mate one of your boarding ramps with Prideful... We're in rough shape. The whole fleet. You may be ready with your environmental scrubbers once we get on board and start cracking the seals in these suits. Another grin, and Piella just shook her head and waved him off, ending the transmission. She let her crews focus on the coming tasks of rescuing the humans. Her gaze, again drifting towards the dead command ship, thinking back to the day that Ben died. End of chapter And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode, and I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.